Hello, friends. I hope you are all stunning. I've got another Rewind episode for you. Seems like you enjoyed the last one with Aditi Shah from Peloton. And again, in case you're wondering why I'm dropping some of these past episodes, it's because there are many new people here. And these are some of the fave interviews based on your listening over the last five years. And this one, with the habit master himself, James Clear, is the all-time most listened to episode of this show. So I can say with confidence, you'll pick up some great value out of this conversation. Enjoy. Welcome to another episode of Behind the Human. I am your host, Mark Champagne, and it's my job to unpack the stories and mental fitness practices of people living at the top of their game personally and professionally. Today, I'm speaking with James Clear, author of the international best-selling book, Atomic Habits, creator of jamesclear.com and the popular 321 weekly newsletter, which I have to say is a newsletter that I receive weekly that knocks me back my chair every single time. So kudos to you for putting that one out. We'll talk a little bit more. And your speaker, weightlifter, former athlete, and contributor to the Against Malaria Foundation, where you donate 5% of all your profits. Welcome to the show, James. Hey, great to talk to you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So I gave a bit of a background on some of the things you're involved with, some of the projects you're working on. But I'd love to start the show with who you are. So who are you, James, as a person? Hmm. Um, yeah, interesting question. I mean, we all have multiple aspects to our personality or our identity, right? Like, you know, I'm a brother, I'm a son, um, I'm a husband. I uh, have all these different, you know, elements. But uh, in terms of work stuff, uh, or what makes up the bulk of my time or like how I think about myself mostly mm-hmm. as like an entrepreneur, uh, a creator, uh, an athlete, uh, maybe a former athlete, although I still do weightlifting and that still is like a big part of my identity. Um, and then like maybe a little more specifically a writer, an author. I hadn't yeah. thought of myself as an author until, uh, Atomic Habits came out because that was the first book that I wrote. And then like once it was physically there, I was like, well, I guess I can't deny it <laughs> yeah. anymore. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think I probably resonate most as like a creator, a builder, uh, an entrepreneur. That's probably how I think about, about myself in a, a work context. Sure. And then more generally as a person, I guess like an optimizer, uh, a contributor. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like I, I really like mm. trying to make things a little bit better, whether it's my business or work or whatever, or just personally. And then I, um, I like doing things that like are useful, that contribute to the areas around me, whether that's a conversation or um, a project at work or a relationship. Uh, I want to be, be useful. I just don't just want to be spending time. So those are kind of different lenses through which I think about what I, what I do and how I spend my time. I love it. The, the whole idea of optimizer and contributor, we're... Or maybe let's just start with optimizer. Like, where did that show up in your life? Do you remember when you started really thinking like that? Because I feel like that, you know, that's not something that we're we're born with. Yeah. Um, you can so to if I switch the word a little bit instead of saying optimizer, if I say like editor, 
uh, you know, someone who's refining things or uh, editing their life or editing their work in various ways. I probably first became exposed to it through sports. Uh, I played a bunch of stuff growing up, baseball, basketball, uh, swimming. Yeah. I played football for one year. In football, there were people who were giving hits and people who were getting hit, and I was always getting hit. Um, <laughs> I didn't stick with that one for as long. But uh, any sports skill that you're developing, whether it's throwing a baseball or whatever, you're um, you know you're repeating it, you're iterating on it, and so mm -hmm. you're refining and editing. And so that was definitely a place where, like you know, you're trying to optimize your skills on the playing field. Yeah. And then the whole concept of studying, I, I always liked school. I was kind of this weird uh, hybrid or like uh, in, or orphan in the sense that I never had a, a home fully with the athletes or fully with the nerds because I, I liked both. So I was kind of stuck in between. Um, okay. But I was, um, yeah, I, I love playing sports, but I also was like, you know, uh, nerdy and loved learning and science. And so uh, that process is also editing and refinement and optimizing, just trying to learn something new or get better at a, at a concept, get a higher score, whatever. So um, hmm. they both showed up there. And then the, the third one that I thought of when you asked the question is uh, early on in my life was Legos. Um, you know, I, of course, am not the only little kid who loved playing with Legos. Seems like everybody loves them. But um, I don't know, something about that little like engineering mindset and like building something. Can we make it a little bit cooler? Can we add a trapdoor? Can we add a secret passageway? Can we, you know, like build on top of what the instruction said and make it something a little bit bigger? Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. So I kind of have like a lot of different, yeah. I could, no, I, I appreciate you answering that in, in that way because it, you know, having, having been through the book and, and knowing your work, like it, it really starts to paint the picture, especially when it comes to, you know, something you talk about quite a bit about just being 1% better every day. Like every, everything you mentioned there essentially wraps up into that concept. Right. And I sort of, I agree, they do connect. Um, and I, for me, it's sort of, it's like fun. Um, it's yeah. really, it doesn't feel like work. It's like, um, I'm just curious about how can we do it better? I hear, I hear that a lot, actually, with some of the people that I work with, like my, um, my agent, for example, or my publisher. Um, you know, I, I like to kind of poke at the sides of the box and see like, what, why is this really here? What, what are we really trying to get at? Is there a better way to do this? And I, I get the reply a lot. Like nobody's ever asked that question before of, you know, whatever particular thing we're talking about at the time. Mm -hmm. And so I can imagine that, I don't know, maybe that's slightly annoying to them at some points, but I think it serves me really well. And I'm not even really trying to like, let's just tear on, tear down everything we already have and like build a new, I'm fine with keeping the stuff that we have uh, as long as there's a good reason for that old process. And so uh, yeah. I'm always trying to like poke at the sides of the box a little bit and see like, is there a better way that we could do this? Maybe is there, is there a way that's what's the 80, 20 of this? How can we get most of the output, but less of the effort or, you know, anyway. So I, I kind of, I find that fun to think like that. So I think it just sort of bleeds into all the things that I do. Did you grow up like that, James, like that element, what strikes me when you, when you're speaking is just this, this level of or heightened level of curiosity kind of forming everything that you're saying right now, where, like where your parents or your upbringing you know, was that encouraged or is just something that evolved for you as you were growing up? Yeah. I mean, it was definitely encouraged. Um, you know, I think my parents did a really great job. My dad, mostly with the sports side, my mom, mostly with the school side, um, and just kind of encouraging us to excel in, in both of those areas and be interested and curious there and so on. 
So I do think it was fostered to whatever degree uh, it can be. Um, So I was probably lucky in that sense. Uh, But I also think part of it's just my personality that I'm just kind of curious for some reason. Um, I I don't know. It's hard to put a finger on. Like, I don't even really know why or, you know, whatever. But like I said, it's just fun to me to to dig into things. Um, So I, I think that curiosity was probably present early on. The optimizing thing, I think, is probably learned a little bit later. It was like, maybe it's a mix of, I do think I'm competitive as well. And so maybe Mm -hmm. that is like a mix of those two personality traits. Like you got competitiveness on one end and curiosity on the other. And if you put them together, you end up optimizing things because you're like, well, I want to win whatever game is being played. And then you start getting curious about how to win it. And so you start looking for these different ways or strategies um, yeah. And then you start trying to optimize those. So it's sort of like curiosity as a as a method for uh, competing at a high level. Yeah. Well, it makes sense. And it's, you know, there's a track record here as well, obviously, with, with the book that's sold over a million copies. And we'll, we'll get into that in a minute. But uh, like the newsletter as well. I mean, you've got hundreds of thousands of people that have signed up for that. And, you know, I just for the audience and, and yourself too, I'm not trying to blow smoke your way. I mean, that... I'm pretty protective of what hits my inbox when it comes to newsletters, especially if it's weekly. And yours, without fail, always just, like I said, kind of pushes me on the back of my chair to and like look up and reflect. I'm like, wow, where that is it? That's a fascinating point. And it, you know, it breaks my autopilot. So, A, I want to thank you because, you know, it's easy to fall in the autopilot of life. So that's a, that's a great reflection point for myself uh, personally. But B, I, I would just love to know, like, what is your process uh, with these newsletters? Like, how how do these points come up? Are these just, you know, you musing along all day uh, or throughout the weeks and you, you journal on these or you, you take notes of these? Like, how, how do you format these in your own head? Yeah, thanks for saying that. I, I appreciate it. I always try to, you know, it's, I don't know if it's a bar that you can hit, but I always try to think of or, or push myself to say, like... If you had, to, if you were forced to unsubscribe from every newsletter that you subscribe to, I'd want mine to be the very last one. You know, like yeah. if you could only keep one, that's the one that you'd want to, you'd want to like hide and keep. Um, so anyway, I, you know, I don't always hit that mark, um, but I, I try to each week. And so my process to answer your question, I've gone back and forth on this over the years, and what I found was I had this moment when my email list got over a hundred thousand subscribers where I felt like, oh, wow, now a lot of people are paying attention. Now it's got to be really <laughs> good. Like I sort of had this little, I don't know if it yeah. was a freak out, but it was like I I felt this additional pressure because now the audience was was big. Um, and so I told myself, well, now I just need to be writing all the time. Like I like if I was putting, you know, 20 hours a week in writing before, now it's got to be 40 and I just have to find time for the other stuff that I need to do. Like I, I sort of had this thought, like if I just worked harder, then it would be better. And I don't know that that actually happened. I think actually it may have become a little bit worse or like stagnated. And uh, now a couple of years through that, after I've worked through it and tried to figure out some other strategies, um, now I think about it kind of like driving a car. So when you're writing, you're driving around, but every now and then you got to stop at the gas station and fuel up. You got to put gas in the car. And reading is like putting gas in the car. Writing is like driving or going on an adventure. And if you, uh, the point of having a car 
is not to just sit at the gas station all the time and just fill up. Like you're not just supposed to just read and consume constantly. Um, but if you never fill up, then you run out of gas, you don't get very far. And so if I ever feel like I don't have good ideas or I don't have something to put together in the newsletter that week or whatever, I just need to refill the tank. I got to go back and, and read. And so almost all of my good ideas are sparked by consuming something else, by reading, by listening to a podcast, by watching an interesting YouTube clip, whatever. So um, okay. I really need that balance between fueling up and driving around. And uh, so usually uh, my process is I try to read a bit each day. Um, again, it comes in all sorts of sources. Sometimes it's books, sometimes it's articles, sometimes it's tweets and whatever. Um, and then as I'm consuming things, uh, I try to have that, that information feed curated fairly well in the sense that they're high quality, but they're yeah. also very diverse. So, you know, I, I like to think about it kind of like broad funnel type filter. So broad funnel, I'm reading widely, exploring widely, coming across a lot of ideas, uh, interfacing with a lot of ideas. And then naturally, as that's happening, that just kind of gets my brain going. I start thinking about things. Maybe they, I read about an example and it applies to a concept that I read the day before or whatever. And my job is to take that broad funnel and then apply a tight filter to, to almost like a strainer, just like only let the very best ideas fall through. And mm -hmm. um, so I collect those. So I, I have a big file. I got, you know, hundreds of notes and Evernote and, uh, if I'm working on a book, it's usually in a Google Doc, and I kind of pile it all in there. But either way, there's the central holding ground, and I put it all there. Okay. And then, uh, and then you know, when the time comes each week, um, we kind of put it together in a newsletter. Love it. Well, I can say if I had access to your Evernote, I feel like I would I would park at the gas station for days on it. end. <laughs> well, this totally will come out through the newsletter, so you're getting it. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Um, just on the topic of, you know, when you hit the 100K and, you know, something shifted in your mind, I, I'd like to parallel that with the book, right? Because I'm curious, I've, I've had the great pleasure to interview many authors on, on the show, but you, like, you're at a, you're at a different level. Like, this is, this is serious when it comes to selling over a million copies of a book that you've poured your, your heart and soul. Not that the, the other authors are, are best-selling authors as well, but I, I just, I'm curious what that feels like, James, for you when, when you're going through that. Well, there have been many different stages, so it's felt about every different way that something could feel uh, along the process. <laughs> um, when I was writing it, it felt very dark. And, uh, um, you know, the process of creating a book, in my case, took, depending on how you measure it, some either three years or six years, depending on what you pick as the starting point. But six years of work made its way into the book in one form or another. And yeah. um, in particular, there were about two very intense years when I was finishing it. And um, I don't know, it was like easily the hardest project that I had ever completed. Uh, I'm glad I completed it because there were moments in the middle when I didn't know that I was going to be able to. Um, what so, pushed you through? Sorry to injure. Uh, sorry to interrupt, but what pushed you through in those those tough, messy middle moments? Um, the thing that's so hard about a book is that uh, unlike a blog post, for example, or a tweet or whatever, for other pieces of content, the feedback cycle is so short. You know, like you have an idea, you tweet it out, people are liking it within 10 seconds. Um, or you write an article, you send it out over email, and you're getting emails back, you know, an hour later. And um, so... 
I don't always need everybody to say, this is great. Like maybe sometimes I miss the mark, but I just want to know, like, am I on the right track <laughs> with a book? Sure. You're writing for a month or six months or a year. And like, nobody has seen it yet. It still is just a half finished manuscript. And so it was just really hard for me to like toil away and not get any feedback. So I realized that about a year in. Uh, so I hired a, an editor to just read it and just tell me what you think. Like, and I, honestly, some of the feedback was negative, but it was fine because I just needed somebody to, you know, um, keep me pointed in the right direction. Yeah. So, keep you out of the unknown at least. So that feedback was one of the things that helped me persist. Uh, you know, some of it is just okay. like guts and resilience and persistence and, and all that. And you do yeah. feel that at some times and then you, the next hour, you might not feel that at all. Um, so it, they really ebbs and flows in that sense. But I, I think the feedback was crucial and then support from my wife, my parents, you know, my family members that it definitely can. Everybody who asked like, how's the book doing? I hope it's going well. You know, like there were, it seems like an infinite number of conversations like that over the two or three years that I was really writing intensely on it. And, um, sometimes authors don't like getting those questions because they feel guilty because the book isn't done yet. <laughs> But yeah. I knew at some level, uh, people cared and they, they just mm -hmm. wanted it to go well because they, they loved me. And so that, that helped a lot too, uh, having, having a close group of family in, in your corner. Um, sure. I think those are probably the two main things that helped get me through. Sure. It reminds me because um, I was part of building a, a digital journal called Keo uh, a few years back, or I guess last year is when we, we shut it down. But, it, you know, through the process of creating it over a year or so, um, same thing, you know, friends, family, like, how's it going? And at the beginning, and uh, Scott Belsky talks about this in his book, The Messy Middle, but at the beginning, right, like the ideas there, everyone's excited and, and ramped up. But then you actually get into the work of it, which kind of to your point, right, is a bit dark and alone and you just need to do it and, and work. But when people are asking how things are going in that stage, uh, I'm glad you you enjoyed that because for me, I, I was starting to run out of things, you know, I, I'm working. It's kind of my, <laughs> we're still working on it, like nothing that exciting. We're following yeah. our plan, but we're still working on it. Oh, believe me, so, I felt all of that as well. Uh, that, yeah. You know, I just knew that they were asking because they cared. And so of course. That, that helped a little bit. Um, there's also, honestly, uh, there's a little bit of fear that motivates you. You know, like I, yeah. I don't want to throw up a zero, uh, not finish yeah. the project. Um, you know, now I don't know if the book will succeed, but I got to at least have something between the two covers. You know, like I want to. I want to at least finish it. So there was there was that kind of motivating force as well, and all of that sort of you know combines to get you through it. Um, sure. After the book comes out, well, then of course it's a totally different feeling. Um, you know, there's there was a the, once the book was finished, but it hadn't been released yet. Well, now I'm kind of in the marketing window, and so I'm you know I feel like I've got this great thing. The world doesn't know about it. So my job is to pour all of my energy into trying to let as many people know as possible. So that was, you know, that was then like the next year I uh, was doing mm -hmm. media push and podcast interviews and all, all that other stuff. Uh, and that was, that was kind of, I don't know how I'd feel about it if I had written like five books, I don't know, maybe you get tired of it, but it was my first time. So, you know, it felt, it felt fun and new to me. It was like, yeah, I've never done a, a book tour, a big launch or something, you know, like this is, yeah. so, so it was a little fresh in that sense. Um, so that was kind of invigorating. And then after the book came out and hit the bestsellers list, and then it kind of seemed like it was maintaining momentum. And then uh, it started picking up even more and we're starting to get 
you know, foreign rights deals and different languages are translating it. Um, it got to a point where at about three, maybe say from like three months after launch to like nine months after that six month window was just like insane. Uh, it felt like every day something was happening that just three months earlier would have been like the biggest moment of my month. And yeah, (laughs) it was now like the third most interesting thing that happened that week. You know, it was just, um, the acceleration of that really took me by surprise and, came with its own set of growing pains. Um, you know, it almost felt like overnight I had to learn how to say no to things that I previously would have been excited to say yes to. And yeah. that that's very, I still think I struggle with that, uh, with prioritization and saying no. And, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know, you know, like you don't want, um, you want one, you want to be helpful. So if people ask you for help or ask you for advice or, uh, want you to contribute to a project, like, yeah, I, I would like to do that. But then it got to this point where like, if I said yes to all that, I would never like write anything else because that's what all my days would look like. And you're like, well, the only reason people are interested in the first place is because I was writing things. So then maybe I should have the to know or just write. Yeah. More. Um, but then you feel like a jerk because you're telling all these people no all the time. Um, so I don't know. I, I definitely struggled with that. You know, like everybody wants to be liked. So and nobody likes to give bad news or, or turn people down. Um, yeah. So Anyway, I'm kind of going on here, but the point is there were very different phases throughout the project and I sure. felt all sorts of different ways at, at various points. Um, and the, the, one of the tough things about a book is it's so much delayed gratification. All the work, all the pain is up front. It's like you got to come mm-hmm. up with a great idea. You have to research it. You got to spend a few years writing it. You, literally, you could put three to five years of work in before you ever sell a copy. Uh, you got to come up with this great marketing plan, execute on that. But if you're the type of person who's willing to do that, if you can go through all those stages and write a great book and prep and do all these interviews and then hit launch day, it can be a really, really wonderful thing after that. Um, so it's a, it really was a huge exercise in delayed gratification and um, definitely came with some growing pains for me. Yeah, I, can, I, I can't imagine. How did your your rituals and your practices or your habits help you through? Because I, I totally can understand how challenging it would be to say no to certain things that like you said you know a few months ago or you know a year or whatever it was um would have been like like hell yes you know <laughs> and now you just can't you, you just can't serve all of them so i mean that's a lot of emotion emotion to process where you did you step up the journaling or were there certain things that were helping you know manage that that whole process for you yeah, I mean, you know, talking to my wife about it, talking to my team about it. Uh, it so just a lot of conversation was going on. You also okay. start to gradually kind of triangulate what's important to you and what's not. Like I, um, I still give a fair amount of speeches each year, maybe one or two a month, something like that. Um, but it had accelerated to the point where I was getting like two to three requests per day. And so, okay. uh, well, I, you know, obviously I can't do all that because I can't be in three places every day. So it's, it's impossible to do all of them anyway. So that helped a little bit. Um, but then uh, I also started to gradually come to the realization that like, actually, like I, I, I like speaking. I, I do think it's fun when I do it and I like engaging with the audience face to face. But I want to be building a business that's based around books and writing. So um, that made it easier to like kind of compartmentalize that bucket 
and realize that it can play a role, but it should be like a secondary role, not the primary thing that I'm optimizing for. Um, and so that, that question, actually, I think it was helpful for me. I, I think it's helpful for a lot of people, which is like, what are you optimizing for? Um, and that, that helped put a lot of things that otherwise were like really exciting, like, um, Hey, do you want to come speak at this conference in Europe? And I was like, wow, you know, that sounds incredible. I would love to do that. But then yeah. if you ask like, what am I optimizing for? You're like, oh, actually that would be really cool. But then I lose a week of, you know, between travel and everything. And now suddenly that's one less week that I have to write another useful book or put out a newsletter or whatever. And, um, maybe I still want to do it, uh, or maybe I still say yes to it, but now suddenly the trade-offs are more clear. And so if you know what you're optimizing for, uh, I think it becomes easier to say no. And I, I just, honestly, I like didn't quite know in the beginning. And I think I gradually sort of developed my answer, my personal answer for that. Yeah. Well, I mean, you didn't know, right. You had to, you had to experience some of that to see, I guess, what the other side looked like to, to go through that process. Right. Yeah. That's a good point. And actually, uh, as I think back on my career, um, I did that with all sorts of things that I have played no role in my business now. Um, when I first started writing, I thought I was going to write more about health, fitness, medicine. I thought it was going to be more like health habits than just habits in general. And, um, I did this certification. This is like probably 10 years ago or more now, um, where there, you may have seen it on commercials or different gyms or whatever, but there are these big, thick, heavy ropes. They look like the ropes you'd have on a ship or something. And oh, yeah. uh, you can use them to work out and stuff. Well, anyway, I got certified in this power ropes training thing. And, uh, the other day, my wife was like, you remember you got certified for that? I like drove to Michigan and like got certified and <laughs> did this class. And everything. It's like a two day thing. And it's like, I've never done anything with that basically. Like it wasn't even it, it, looking yeah. back. It seems like almost silly that I spent the time on it. But at that period, uh, in my life, I was experimenting with a bunch of different things to see which sure. took off. And I, I think that you should continue to do that even like even now, maybe 80% of my time should be spent on stuff that I know I want to be doing. And then like 20% should just be for like trying new things or different strategies or whatever. Most of them won't work out, but it's very hard to predict where the next great thing will come from. And so I think you need a little exposure to that. Uh, and then you can decide, do I want to double down on it or do I want to you know cut it out? Well, that's just pure. Like as you're saying that, I can't help but think about most people firing up new products or companies, right? Like if you're not, if you're not putting a, a good percentage into experimentation and pushing the boundaries, I mean, you, you're just never going to explode out to wherever you want to go, right? It's it's. You know what's really hard about it is that um, there's sort of this like dichotomy. There's competing tensions going on. So like. In the, on the one hand, people say, like, don't put all your eggs in one basket. You know, if you lose yeah. your basket, you lose everything. And so partially that's, you know, people often talk about diversify your portfolio or things like that. But that's also kind of what we're to talk, talking about here. Diversify your interests, have a portfolio mm -hmm. of beliefs or business projects or whatever. But then there's this other competing tension, which is don't put your eggs in too many baskets because doing things halfway is actually risky. The more baskets you have, the more you have to manage things, the more you have to divide your attention and compartmentalize. And if you're doing 10 things with 10% of your focus in each, it's really hard for any one of those things to beat somebody who is giving 90% of their focus to one of those baskets. So it becomes difficult to compete if you stretch yourself too thin. And so you kind of have these, these competing tensions of both of those things are true. And so I think um, you sort of need something 
that is your primary focus that gets like 80% of your time or whatever, where I'm putting most of my eggs in this basket. And I know that because I'm giving it most of my time and attention and effort and energy uh, and resources, I'm going to be able to compete at a high level. But then I've also got exposure and, you know, I got like one egg and maybe five other baskets and that's, that's the other 20%. And the purpose of that is to be in the game so that I can tell and get feedback if something does go well there, or if I really like it and I want to add that in, or I want to shift more of my attention to it or whatever. Um, the world is, is dynamic. It's not static. And so because things are always changing, you don't know which basket is going to be the best one to be holding for the next, you know, the next period or the next cycle or whatever. So you do want to have multiple ones, but it's also risky to do things halfway. So you've got to kind of figure out a strategy that, that works for you, that gives you the focus and attention you need, but also the diversification that, that's really helpful and necessary. Well, and this is where I really love your prompt of, you know, what are you optimizing for? I think that's a great way to narrow in on that 80%, right? And then at least it's clear you're, you've, you've written that out or you've given it some thought and then you, then you at least know where the goalposts are, right? And you right. can, you can jump into that 20%. Right. I'm curious, one of the things I wanted to chat with you about just straight out of the book is your concept of, uh, integrity reports. Is that link at all with, you know, just what you're working on? Obviously the, I know there's a direct link with your, the habits and the systems that you have in place, but I, you know, as you're speaking and as you're describing kind of the 80-20 setup, I feel like that would naturally show up in those reports as well. Yeah, I, that's a good question. I, I think it does connect a little bit to the conversation we're having now. So just to get everybody on the same page. So I sure. share even what I call an integrity report where I write down my core values, their principles, whatever you want to call them. Uh, and then I ask myself, like, how have I been living by those for the last year? So that's kind of the pat yourself on the back. Good, you're staying aligned. And then the most important question is the last one, which is where have I failed to live by those in the last year? And so you start to see, oh, you know, I say that this is important to me, but actually I'm not spending that much time on it. And, um, I, you know, just a moment ago, I said the world is dynamic. It's not static. You know, things are always changing. And so you want a little bit of exposure to new things so that you can take advantage of the next wave or be in a good position or more diversified. Um, that's also true about your principles and your values. You know, like most of your values are probably relatively stable, but things do change and evolve and you learn new things and you meet new people. And so I think it's worth it to check in every year to be like, is this still a core value of mine? Like, does this still feel like it's, it's worthy of that level of importance? And then, uh, whether you add something new or you stick with your old set, are my behaviors adding up to that? Or do I need to change something, uh, and adjust? So Hmm. Yeah, it, it is kind of similar to that that conversation. It's like, what am I optimizing for uh, is maybe more externally focused, but who am I optimizing to become is, you know, Ooh. sort of internally focused. And I think both of those are important questions. That is a great question. Who am I optimizing to become? That actually is very close to one of the concepts I talk about in Atomic Habits. This, I, I call it identity-based habits, but the core idea is that every action you take is like a vote for the type of person you want to become. And so this yeah. is one thing. This is maybe the ultimate thing that I think is really important about habits. Usually we talk about habits as like a pathway to external results. You know, habits can help you lose weight or make money or be more productive or reduce stress. And yeah, that's true. Habits can do all those things and that's great. But the reason, I think the real reason, the deeper reason that habits are really 
crucial and important and powerful is that they can reshape your sense of self. They provide evidence of being a certain type of person. You know, it's sort of like your habits are how you embody a particular identity. So every morning that you make your bed, you embody the identity of someone who's clean and organized. Uh, if you study biology for 20 minutes on Tuesday night, you embody the identity of someone who's studious. If you meditate for one minute, you embody the identity of a meditator. And ultimately, that's like what I think you're really looking to achieve is the real goal is not to like run a half marathon. The goal is to become a runner, right? Like the goal is not to read mm. books a year. The goal is to become a reader. And so that question of like, who am I optimizing to become? Uh, you could also like ask it in a different form, which is like, what are my habits leading me toward? Uh, you know, who, who are my habits reinforcing right now? And that idea of like, can my current habits carry me to my desired future? Can my current habits carry me to my desired identity? And if not, then you have a misalignment there. And so you want, you want to make sure that your, your behaviors, even if they're small, even if it's writing one sentence or doing one push up. You want to make sure they're leading you toward that thing that you're optimizing for, whether it be external results or the internal identity. How do you suggest for people listening to really, you know, track track these these habits and and the systems in place to ensure that there is there is a movement in the right path? Because I mean the 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 natural one, obviously, in the integrity reports, kind of a recap of the year. Reminds me of, uh, I mean, I do this as well at the end of the year, just just reviewing, you know, everything I had set out for for the year, but but even almost even more importantly, some of the weekly or monthly check ins. And I'm curious how you would direct people or suggest to check in with themselves so that um, you know the progress that people want are is happening, right? Yeah, I, I mean, it's a great question. I think that uh, first. Um, I feel like there's this pressure sometimes that people feel sort of similar to like, uh, you're, you know, you're a senior in college or something or people are like, what are you going to do? Like, what, you know, what career do you want? And you sort of weirdly feel this pressure as if you like have to pick right, even though a career is something that happens over like 40 years and you're welcome to change your mind whenever you want, you know, like it just, it feels more permanent than, than it really is. And so I think that would be my first suggestion is like, look, no decision is permanent. So when you come up with a set of values or the identity you're working toward, it is something that can and should be revisited and revised and edited over time. So the idea that people like get it right the first time, I, I don't think that's even one. I don't even really think it's possible um, because it's not, you can't get it right because you're not going to be static and the world's not going to be static. So you need to be revisiting and revising it over time. It's like, um, I think in the, in atomic habits, I say something like you need to be willing to continuously upgrade and expand your identity. It's almost like retouching mm. a painting, you know, like you have, to, yeah. you have to be willing to come back to it and, you know, reshape it whenever necessary. The more that you, it, it actually almost hurts you to only do it once because the more tightly you cling to a single identity, the harder it becomes to grow beyond it, right? You become almost like brittle because you're, you're locking yourself into this one version of who you are rather than letting yourself fluidly expand and evolve over time. Um, but to your question about measurement and the right way to do it, um, I, I don't know if it's the right way, but here are a couple ways. Uh, sure. One is reflection and review. So we talked about the integrity report. That's something I do each year. Um, I also, similar to what you were mentioning, I do an annual review, an annual report at the end of the year. 
Um, the integrity report's more about like my values and principles, and the annual review is more like numbers focused, like how many workouts did I do, how many articles did I write, how many places did I travel to, stuff like that. It's like actually okay. tallying it up a little bit more. Um, but I do agree with you. I think shorter cycles for measurement are also powerful. So in my case, uh, like being an athlete or being someone who doesn't miss workouts, those are like aspects of my identity that I want to reinforce. So whenever I do a workout, I, I have a little workout journal. I, I keep a physical one where I write down each set that you can do a, an app on your phone or whatever. Um, but the point of that, like, I don't actually, um, learn that much from what I'm writing down for the exercises, like the, the act of writing it down, but the act of writing it down is like me ensuring that I'm just staying on track. It's like, it's basically like a Your accountability that I'm showing up. Right. Um, yeah. So, uh, so recording things like that, whether it's in a journal or an app or whatever, that, that can be helpful. Um, I do a more weekly review cycle for my business where, uh, each Friday I kind of do this whole little check-in. I don't know, maybe it takes 30 minutes or something. It's just, I call it my weekly review, but it's, mm -hmm. you know, profit expenses, revenue, all, all that type of stuff. Um, email subscribers, just, I'm just like checking in on key metrics, uh, book sales, I, you know, uh, add in the book sales from last week, all, all that type of stuff. So, um, I, I don't think there's any one cycle that is best. Uh, it depends on the habit or the behavior that you're tracking. But the idea of let me do kind of a big picture check-in maybe once or twice a year, and let me do these smaller check-ins for the task maybe daily or weekly or possibly monthly, um, I, I do think that both of those strategies are useful. Yeah, I mean, I have to say, even just personally, weekly, I started probably a year or two years ago, maybe two years ago, doing just a a personal weekly check-in kind of around five, around three o'clock, let's say on a Friday and just this is journaling, just purely answering three questions. You know, what, what did I learn this week? What went well this week and what would I have changed? And I've, I've been just blown away at how much you can progress and learn about yourself just, and this is literally a, a 10 max 15 minute, exercise but just i feel like it and just like what you're doing with your business i think it it pulls you out of the autopilot yeah. and just you know just take a quick take a breath take a look you know what's going on you can do a, a small course adjustment if needed and you know you roll into the weekend and and i i also feel like it helps you roll into the weekend because you've you've done that right you kind of you've, you've released you've thought about your business or again, your, your personal objectives and you can go into the weekend and, and then start on Monday from kind of fresh, right? It's so easy to let another moment slip by or to let a week slide away uh, without <laughs> yeah. realizing it. And I think those check-ins, it's almost like I, I mentioned something about this, this in the book. I can't remember exactly how I phrased it, but the habit of reflection and review. So in your case, the habit of those three questions it's almost like a meta habit. Uh, you know, it's like of the more important thing because if you can do that and it shapes a lot of the other behaviors that follow. And, um, yeah, if you, if you don't have the habit of checking in on yourself like that, it's just easy to be on autopilot or for, you know, li life is, you're always going to fill the time. Life will always yeah. come at you with uh, other things or emergencies or whatever that need to take up space. So it's kind of reclaiming some of your time, reclaiming a lot of your attention and focus if you can just build that, that habit of reflection and review. 
Hello, friends. Given you're here, I'm making the assumption that you're motivated to be mentally fit. So with that in mind, I want to let you know about the Better Questions newsletter, which publishes once or twice a month, providing all of us the opportunity to slow down, think, and ask better questions. As you know, quality questions are my thing, and this is an opportunity to share the prompts I've studied and curated to help our minds be healthier, clearer, more intentional, and expand our mental capacity. You can sign up over at BehindTheHuman.com slash newsletter, which will also give you a preview of my debut book, Personal Socrates. That's BehindTheHuman.com slash newsletter. Now back to the show. I have to get, because I want to be conscious of your time, um, I have to get your three reflective questions. I mean, I've already taken note of some really powerful questions, especially the around the one around optimization. But if there are any that you feel are consistent in your life personally, that you're asking yourself, whether you're physically journaling, whether you're, you know, taking a walk, thinking about them, um, or during big life change events, that's, that's another one that's helpful. Um, please leave them because I leave these in the show notes. And they're just great jumping off or anchors to help someone reflect on where they're at in their life based on a, a question like this, one might resonate with with others. Is there anything that comes to mind? I love questions. I think that questions are more helpful than advice because advice is context dependent. It's dependent on the circumstance, the application, the timing, the person who is you know implementing it. And so even for somebody who's in the same industry or dealing with a similar problem, good advice may not be good because it's the wrong time. Uh, or yeah. whatever. Um, so yeah. for whatever reason may take it off course, but a question, a question is very flexible. Uh, and so I, I think that usually finding the right question to, to ask yourself is more helpful than finding the right advice to follow. Um, so we already talked about what am I optimizing for? Who am I optimizing to become? I think those are crucial questions. There's another one that I mentioned, uh, but didn't quite put as quite of a finer point on it that I also think is crucial, which is can my current habits carry me to my desired future? I think that's mm. a crucial one for figuring out alignment uh, with, with your behaviors and, and what you're looking to do. Um, there's another question that I like, a big picture one that I just kind of ask every now and then, which is, am I climbing the right mountain? Um, oh, and love that. I think, you know, one of the most dangerous things is to become successful at the wrong thing. You spend yeah. all the time optimizing, uh, getting better, focusing, spending hours and attention. And it's like, was, was that the right mountain to be climbing? Um, and status seeking, I think in particular status signaling, whatever, however you want to define it, it really can pull us off course. A lot of the time, you know, people take, they climb this mountain of a career that they don't really love because the money was attractive or the position sounded sexy or it was a good title or whatever. Like there's, you know, and, and those things can matter and do matter to certain degrees, but you just need to be sure that it's the right mountain for you. Um, so I think that question is one that I like a lot. Um, let me think here. Is there something that's, that's been new that you've, that you've added over the last few months? Yeah, there's one recently I've been asking myself more, which is like, uh, am I being effective right now or am I just busy? Um, uh, and you know, that kind of helps clarify, like, am I really allocating my time in the highest and best use? You know, like, am I just, there's like that difference between motion and action, you know, like motion is doing things, but they would never get you a result just on their own. 
Uh, whereas action is something that can actually get you a result. Like for example, if you, if you go to the gym and you talk to a personal trainer, that's motion. It doesn't matter how many times you talk to a personal trainer, you'll never get fit just by doing that. But if you get under the bar and you do 10 squats, that's action because that actually could get you the result you're looking for. Now that doesn't mean you should never talk to a personal trainer. Uh, it can be useful. It's just that you need to be honest with yourself about if it's motion or if it's action. And the motion should be moving you toward action, not simply. It's like when planning becomes a form of procrastination, you should stop planning. You just need to act on whatever plan you have. <laughs> um, so I think that that question helps me a little bit. And I've kind of been thinking about more recently. Um, I also like the question of like, uh, you can say this about a person or a circumstance or uh, a task, but uh is this break giving me energy or taking it away? You know, like, is this relationship bringing energy into my life or is it taking energy out of it? Is this project bringing energy into my life or taking energy out of it? And of course, all the things that you work on require some level of effort and energy, but man, there's something very different about a, a person or a relationship or a task or a project that lights you up inside. It's yeah. almost like the time you spend on it gives you more time back, gives you more energy back. And then there's other things that are like a black hole. Um, yeah. So, uh, that idea of like, is this giving me energy or is it bringing energy into the room or taking energy out of it? I think. Well, it, it almost reminds me of what we were talking about, that whole 80 to 20% rule as well. You know, there for, to your point, there are for sure th certain things that you have to do that will suck up energy. But if that is 80% of your day right. or life, um, <laughs> you know, the, the forecast on that one's not looking too great. So just again, a quick little self check-in on with that prompt is super powerful. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so that, that's four or five that, uh, that yeah, yeah. There's a lot, there's these are, and these are all fantastic. I mean, the last question for you is related to all your work. And I, I just wanted to get your perspective on, you know, when, when people are consuming your material and um, everything you stand for, like, what do you, what do you want the reader and, um, the person on the other side to, to feel after they've taken in your work? Um, I don't know. It's a tough question because like certainly, you know, we all think about how's this going to land with people and will people find it useful? But also like to a certain degree, um, what they think of it is kind of like their uh, opinion or their, their, if they think it's great, then good, that's good for me. If they think it's bad, then like to a certain degree, that's kind of like their problem, not mine because I, I don't have control over how people feel about it. Yeah. Um, that said, of course, I'm very interested in like how, whether people find it useful or not. And so what I come back to, uh, and this is something Josh Kaufman told me a, a long time ago, he's another author, but like there are sort of three things. Is it true? Is it useful? Is it clear? And those are kind of the three things that I try to achieve with everything I write. Like I want to write it and you know, every, uh, there's that line, I think it's a Hemingway line where it's like, just write one true sentence. And that's kind of how I feel about each sentence. Like, let me just say something that is, uh, honest, that is factual, that is true. That's, you know, in some cases, uh, if it can be measured scientifically backed. Um, so I want it to be true. I want it to be useful. You know, I want to write things that are actionable and practical and that people can actually implement in daily life. Um, you know, knowledge is, is great and science is great. And I do appreciate it for its own use, but I kind of feel like wisdom is knowing when to apply knowledge or how to apply it. And so I don't just want to share knowledge. I want to share wisdom. Uh, I want to share things that are useful and actionable and, and helpful. And then I want it to be clear, you know, assuming that it's true and assuming that it's useful, let's say it in the simplest way possible. You know, 
know, there's, I, I don't need people to think I'm smart. I just want to be helpful. And so uh, let's get rid of the big words. Let's uh, find a better uh, metaphor or better analogy. Let's determine a, a more clear and simple way to explain it. And if I, when, if I succeed, when I write things that are good, I think they usually hit those three marks. True, useful, clear. That's a, I mean, that's a powerful, uh, powerful three questions, I guess you could say, or just one line or concept in, in itself. I mean, I really appreciate you. Hey, I really appreciate you taking the time to have this conversation and, and leave all of these questions. But I think more so just that you've devoted a lot of your life and your time to put out really thought provoking material that, you know, I don't want people to get the wrong uh, impression that, you know, just it pu- pushes you back and you're, you're stuck in a cycle of thought and you can't move forward. You're, you also have all or many practical uh, applications and tips and advice on, on moving through that thought process. But it's, I feel like it's rare to have that combination. You know, th- a lot of people do one of those things really well. Um, but it's been beautiful to just witness you doing both of those aspects uh, really well. So thank you for devoting that time and energy to your craft because it's obviously, and you know this, you know, it's changing a lot of lives around the world. Oh, thank you. Yeah, thanks for saying that. I um, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I still miss the mark plenty of times, but uh, I'm trying my best to, to share things that are helpful. So it's great to hear, hear you say that and hear that uh, you're finding me useful too. You're human, James. Welcome to the club. <laughs> Where can I direct people? I mean, I'll obviously link out to the book and your site. Is there anything else that you um, would like to put up in the show notes? Yeah. Um, you know, if you want to go straight to the book, uh, it's just Atomic Habits. You can go to atomichabits.com. And if you'd like to check some of the other things that I write, some of the articles I put together, um, you can find all that at jamesclear.com. If you click on articles, I think they're organized by, by category and you can kind of dive into whatever's useful for you. Um, and then uh, if you're also interested in the, the 321 newsletter, then you can sign up there and uh, that'll come out each week. Love it. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time and have the best day yet. Great. Thanks. Thanks. 